May I invite your attention to that which is inspired. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing inspired you're going to hear today is what I'm about to read you out of Ephesians chapter 5. So if you'll turn to that, we'll start and read a little bit of a small portion of that. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to begin at verse 15 and read through verse 21. Here we go. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in the in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Because I've got a, I've got a confession to make, and my confession is simply this. I have never preached on this passage before. In, uh, what, 37 years of, of pulpiteering, I have never preached on this passage. And I'll tell you why. I was afraid of it. And I was afraid of it because of a, a, a clause that's, that's found in there. Actually, it's only one Greek word that is translated with uh, four, with five Greek words, or five English words. It's in verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit. You know that's controversial, don't you? Um, that's a, that's a, in terms of the whole neo-Pentecostal movement that erupted, uh, oh, back in the 70s, I guess. That, that, that one word, that one Greek word that's translated with five English ones, or four English ones, caused quite a, quite a stir. And unfortunately, I, I need to address the stir before I get to what I really want to talk about this morning. I really don't want to talk about the stir. I want to talk about something else. But I got to address this. So that I can get to what I really want to talk about. So just bear with me for a moment. Gangs, the, the, the confusion lies over the New Testament containing a couple of imperatives, a couple of commands. One of them is this one. This is a command. It's in the imperative. But the other one is being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Here it is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2, you see an event known as Pentecost where the church was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so those two things have, have gotten confused. And so there's a lot of yang yang uh, in, in, uh, intramurally uh, about what's the difference between being baptized by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, um, 
I, I know you don't really want to get into theological controversy. You know, you've got bills to pay and children to raise and all that business. But, gang, you, you need to look at this. Look at how the text opens in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. That is, in terms of our the whole unfolding of our spiritual existence, this is important to it. So, so let me, let me just engage you just a little bit in the, in the theological controversy because it's important concerning how we walk and it's important concerning something else in a minute that we'll look at. Just hang with me. Grammatically. (laughs) I know you didn't come to church to get a grammar lesson. But grammatically, the word that is translated, be filled with the Spirit, is a second person plural present passive participle. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Um, guys, it is something that should be translated like this. Go on being filled. And it's in the imperative. So the verb itself suggest to you that the event that is here is one that needs to be repeated over and over and over and over again. As opposed to being baptized with the Spirit, which is described for you in Acts chapter 2, there are other terms, it's, it's like, if I could use this synonym, it's like being born again. It's, it's regeneration. That only happens once. So baptism in the Spirit happens once. Being filled with the Spirit happens over and over and over again. Got that? That's the end of the controversy. Separate those two. Baptism happens once, you know, it's the beginning of my spiritual life. But now as I'm living the thing out, I am being asked to continually, regularly, repeatedly be to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, an, it's a command. It's something I'm commanded to do. So we are told of a Christian duty. <laughs> duty. To be filled with the Spirit. And then, interestingly enough, Paul likens it to being drunk. Now I know in a bunch of people like this who are, you know, just antiseptically pure. That no one has the foggiest notion about what it means to be drunk. But I bet you've seen a movie or something like that. I mean, you've never been remotely close to an experience of being under the influence of alcohol. Except for that DUI that you got that time. That doesn't count. Now, guys, this section of scripture has nothing to do with excessive drinking. That's not what this is about. We can talk about that. We can talk about that later. When I come to bail you out for the DUI, we'll talk about it then. But guys, Paul says, 
being filled with the Spirit is like being intoxicated. Because both of those maintain a control over you. When you're drunk, you're out of control. When you're under the influence of God's Spirit, you have control. But it is either alcohol that controls you. It's just a comparison. I'm not saying that you're drunk this morning. <clears throat> I'm saying that in the same way that alcohol controls you, if you're drunk, which I know no it's likened to the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason that Paul mentions drunkenness. Simply to show you the, the, the similarities between those two things. He's not trying to denounce um, drunkenness. He does that elsewhere, but not here, not in this passage. Now, guys, that's all I want to say about that. Because the reason that I, that I brought you to this passage is because I really want to talk to you about something else completely. I want to talk to you about marriage. Well, you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> I'm just full of surprises. But it's Father's Day. I want to talk to you about marriage. And I had to do that to, so that we could talk about marriage. <clears throat> Folks, this is a section in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church where he issues a call to a spirit-filled life. And then he goes on to mention several different consequences of what a spirit-filled life looks like. And then in verse 22, which I know I didn't read, but you can see it in your Bibles. In verse 22, he turns to the subject of marriage. And, and, and it's not as if this, this marriage discussion is some afterthought on the part of the Apostle Paul. It's not like he said, oh gosh, I almost forgot, I'm almost finished with this letter to the Ephesian church and I hadn't said anything about marriage. Okay, now that I've finished that spirit-filled living thing, let me talk to you about marriage for a minute. No, folks. Marriage is one of those laboratories where, <laughs> boy, this is an understatement. Marriage is one of those laboratories where the spirit-filled life is put to the test. Ain't that the truth? Huh? G guys, sometimes life at the office, you know, life on the job, it can be very difficult. But nothing. And I think you'd agree with this. Nothing compares 
to the stresses and the strains that are put on the soul within the family. And specifically marriage. You know, guys, um, I guess it's a privilege. I, 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 I consider it a privilege. But just try to imagine with me. Try to estimate the unhappiness and the misery that occurs because of the conflicts that occur in marriage. I I said it's a privilege because I get to listen to it. I get to listen to it a lot. You know, I I, I said this to you, um, oh, I don't know, several months ago. But I was in one several months back, and, and the man in this particular marriage... And, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't know whether he's lying to me. I, I don't, I, 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 can't, I didn't say, oh, I don't believe that. You're a liar. I didn't say that. He said, we are at this moment up to $140,000 in the execution of this divorce. <laughs> I mean, just that is a lot of pain, is a lot of misery. Of course, it, it did end in a very ugly way. And, you know, the house is gone. Yeah, my dad had to go. I mean, just try to think of the... About, don't, don't even think about the kids. Or the, the scars that are left. Or the decisions that have to be made. And the attorneys that have to be paid. And Don't, don't even think about that. Just, just the misery... That's brought on by the disharmony that exists within marriage. Now, guys, here's my point, uh, at least one of them for the morning. The ideal in marriage is something that is pulled off in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit of God. That is why this is there. That is, that is why Paul, when he charged us with this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then goes to the subject of of marriage. I'll say it again. The ideal in marriage is something that is pulled off in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. The section in Ephesians 5 concerning marriage does not begin in verse 22. It begins in verse 18. Guys, um, we um, we treat this section of scripture as if Paul is talking about one thing and then he changes subjects and moves on the other. Guys, that that's not the way this is to be understood. 
life in the spirit. Um, is directly involved in this whole thing of making a marriage work. These are not separate topics. Paul didn't throw in a little section on marriage because he knew that and I had to get that in there, you know, before I close. No, ladies and gentlemen. He talks about, in verse 15, this life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Now, be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's talk about marriage because those two things are inextricably bound together. We don't start a discussion of the responsibilities of wives and then husbands apart from the discussion or the command of verse 18. We start with the right design. One, a design which flows out of the controls and the order brought on by the intoxication of the Holy Spirit of God. And He, that is the Holy Spirit, will bring concord and harmony and bring an end to the quarreling as a husband and a wife cry out for his filling. Paul does not give instructions as to the roles of a husband and a wife without first saying to them, be filled. So Christian marriages That's what we got, don't we? Christian marriages begin with the painful awareness and admission that apart from the Holy Spirit's enablement, our marriage is most likely doomed. That's where we begin. Apart from his involvement, our marriage is most likely doomed. We lack the necessary power to pull off our assigned tasks as a husband or as a wife. Now, guys, you may know how to fly an airplane for Federal Express. And I, you know, I'm a pilot. I love to fly and and I really do think that's impressive. Landing a, an airplane on a carrier, that's just, that's just the height of exhilaration, at least for me. Or, or you may know how to teach school and you may have won award after award as the school's best teacher. Or you might be able to sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. Or you may know how to build a house that is beautiful and well done. But being a biblical husband or being a biblical wife is something way beyond 
my inherent abilities. You know, guys, um, how is it that a sinful, prideful, lustful, self-absorbed man can love his wife as Christ loved the church? He can't. How is it that a sinful, insecure, self-absorbed woman, how can she submit to her husband? She can't. They, they both have all of the right instructions and some, even some of you, glory in those biblical instructions that these assi- that God has given you in your assigned tasks. But what you need is not more information. It's not more explanation about the task itself. What we need is the power to deal with our own fallenness. Because you see, the, the problem is not that we don't understand the assigned tasks. The problem is that. And what's missing is the power and enablement of the Holy Spirit to do something about that. Guys, keep your fingers there and and flip over with me if you will. It's in the the Gospel of Mark. That's easy. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's in the. It's just the third book of the New Testament. I want to read you just a just a quick, which I hope is relevant. Um, I'm in Mark seven. Verse 21. I want to wait on you because I want you to see this. And I think you know this is there. But let's let's just kind of pour over it for a minute. Jesus is speaking. And he says this in verse 21. Mark 7, 21. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person now ladies and gentlemen you know that porn problem that rocked your wife when she found out that you were doing that I came from in here and and um, you know that adultery that started when your ex-boyfriend contacted you via Facebook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that came from within. 
you know that fight that y'all had over how scantily your husband said that you dress? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. That was in here. And um, that that credit card bill that that we maxed out because I so wanted to keep up with my old girlfriends and all that they had. That all came from in here. And and no amount of pleading from some meddlesome, obnoxious preacher is going to get you off of those websites that you shouldn't be on. What's needed is the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. A moral example is not enough. I cannot practice this Christian ethic to which I am being called by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 without the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Tell me, what book on the family have you read lately where there is a chapter in that book that deals with the Holy Spirit? I bet you I've read 25. Not a one of them cover this. My friends, unless the power of the Holy Spirit changes me, unless he empowers me, I will never be the spouse that God intended me to be. No man, no woman can possibly do what Paul instructs us without being filled by the Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, Did you notice what comes right after the section on marriage in chapter 6, verse 1? That would be parenting. And guys, is there any more difficult task ever than parenting? Is there, is there, a, is there anything that's more of a source of guilt and shame and frustration and even depression than parenting? Again, just one more of those laboratories where the fullness of the Holy Spirit is required. But guys, I, I hope you can see my point. It's a, it's a fairly simple one. Paul's instruction as to how all of this is to be dealt with as a believer, is that we as Christians be filled over and over and over again by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. And I say to you, my brother and sister in Christ, more seminars, more DVDs, more 
instructions, that's all nice. But the problem is my heart. And we have divorced the instruction about marriage from the power to obey the instructions. And I think that's a fatal mistake. It's, it's only as, as God's people are under the influence, controlled and ordered by the Holy Spirit of God, that we can live with peace, live at peace with each other as husbands and wives or as just fellow congregants. Guys, God created marriage to foreshadow and to illustrate the the eternal relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus is the heavenly bridegroom? We are the bride, the church. And the metaphor that is used to help us understand his love for us as a bride is marriage. So if your marriage is sour and there's not much in there but a business relationship and I stand up here on a Sunday and talk about how much Jesus loves his people, it kind of it kind of lands on deaf ears. Why? Why? I couldn't get that. Because marriage is supposed to be a place where we experience a taste of the intimacy, a taste of the security of being bound to another person by a mutual involvement in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you two little pieces of instruction and I'm done. Um... If marriage is supposed to reflect the the relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and the church, the question I pose to you is this. Does mine do that? Does my marriage do that? Well, if not, and the, uh, the possibilities are very real for all of us, that they do not, um, then here's where we should begin. I want to quote you a verse... It is found in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. You might want to write that one down. Just write the Luke 11, 13, and you can go back and look at it. I'm going to quote it for you. Here it is. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more God will give the Holy Spirit... To them that ask. So guys, here's what we do. We pray. We pray as people who believe God and his word. And we by faith lay claim to that promise contained in Luke 11, 13... And we say something like this, God, you promised me 
You promised me that if I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my kids, and I'm evil, all right, and every now and then I gave a good gift to them, that I'm certainly one of those. If you, being evil, Jimmy Young, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? And so, Father, I come this morning to lay claim to a promise that you have made to me. I must have the Holy Spirit to properly relate to Susie. I must have the Holy Spirit's fullness to properly deal with my obnoxious kids. And I am going to believe because you promised that you are going to provide the Holy Spirit for somebody even as wicked as I am. I'm, I'm going to believe, God, that you're going to keep that promise because I am fully aware that kingdom living, or at least productive kingdom living, can only be done in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. And one other thing, and I'm going to quit. I just said kingdom living can only be done. Ladies and gentlemen, kingdom living begins when you enter the kingdom. You can't live kingdom living unless you've entered the kingdom. And the way that you enter the kingdom is by casting yourself on the finished work of Jesus Christ for sinners. Are you here without a Savior? Don't go home that way. Throw yourself at Him. Acknowledging your sin and your guilt and throw yourself on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how I become a Christian. Kingdom living begins and it is continued by a regular Repeated filling of God the Holy Spirit. Our Father, I pray that you will remind your people that um, how your word has admonished us, how it has asked us to conduct this thing called marriage. And I pray that you will give us men who recognize that apart from your enablement, we will never love our wives correctly. And for so many of us who know of our failings, we ask you again, based on the promises that you made us in Luke 11, would you fill us so that we can do what you have charged us to do as biblical husbands? And then, Father, for our wives, would you convince them of the same matter, that they cannot do their job unless aided and enabled by God the Holy Spirit. We ask all of this, Father, of course, in the strong and beautiful name of the one who saved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ.